When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Had there been a real emergency, Drachmorta would have reminded you all that nothing matters anyway and commanded you to turn up your listening devices so you don't miss this episode of Creatures of the Night. <laughs> Very good. I like that one. <laughs> oh, can you tell I'm having too much fun with this? Yes, and I'm loving these theatrical intros that you're coming up with, so well done. It's because we've all been locked in our towers for over a year, and I'm dying for any kind of self-expression like that, so thank you for indulging me. Are you dying for the world to open up or not? I am. You know that. I've always been a social creature, even though we took a, a little foray away from Los Angeles this past week. That was very scary. So I thought I was ready for the world to open up and I tasted a little bit and it was more scary and I wasn't quite as ready as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Different parts of the country don't take the pandemic as seriously <laughs> as they do in Los Angeles. <laughs> Major understatement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we did get out of town this week and we went to South Carolina and did some interesting haunted activities. We went to our first haunt since the pandemic, we That's went and, right. yeah, which was, what did you think of that? Um, okay, it, it was like a, a zombie zone kind of like themed. And when I saw it from the outside, I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be small and just kind of underwhelming. But I was actually kind of surprised at how long it was. I felt like we were in there for quite a while and there were parts that were really claustrophobic, like the walls were really close together and it got very, very dark and then out came the chainsaws and then I really started having some fun and I was actually kind of impressed. It exceeded my expectations. It was weird because you mentioned there was no ambient music well of course we had to give them some advice like right, <laughs> we, we hit the street and i'm like okay fun cute but yeah they needed a lot of help i felt like it was like not really fully open you know because you right. the other haunted houses around it were closed so i thought 
I don't know. It seemed like half open and there was like three people who you could tell were running from door to door to scare you, which I'm fine. I can like pretend that I don't realize it's the same fucking person. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they needed a way to kind of mask all the sound because you could even hear them running around the haunt trying to catch up with you and get in front of you. So lots of loud noise. Like if Not Scary Farm or Universal or any of these other like big haunts taught me anything, it's like overwhelm the senses so that they disorient you even further. And of course, disorientation and sensory deprivation puts you in a state of vulnerability. Yeah. Well, there was that one section of the room that was all blacked out and there was that guy moaning, you know, and I was like, this is a different kind of maze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, okay, they're obviously not queer. We're like, wait, they- zombies get horny too? Question mark. <laughs> I was like, what's with well, that one guy was like moaning, who I guess was supposed to be locked up at the end, which we never saw him. So like, I don't know. Let what me that out. Was yeah. yeah, yeah. Like kind of talking. I don't know. Maybe he was like a snack for later. I don't know. And some fog. I think it could have definitely benefited for some fog. Yeah, just I don't know. Make- Maybe it's some COVID regulation. Like, cause they didn't get really up in your face. So, right. And they probably have masks on. I don't know. I mean, like under their masks, you know? Yeah, totally. You know, we didn't stop there. And of course, we weren't just traveling through the South to sample all of the haunted attractions <laughs> that may or may not be open, but we definitely found time to squeeze in some things that were a little bit to our liking, like the Zombie Zone Haunted House and that old, like, kind of like haunted swamp tour that we did. That's right. We did is- do a haunted swamp tour on a boat, which was really fun. And we got to see some. Scary things, some crocodiles and snakes and old abandoned swamp mansions. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was actually very cool. And that section of the South, I didn't even realize had as much swampland as I might have thought. When when I think swampland, I think Louisiana, New mm-hmm. Orleans, maybe Mississippi. And, and I've been there many times. We both have. And if you've seen Resurrection, you saw some of our choice footage <laughs> to prove it. Um, but this section of the South, I had no idea. It was educational. And we found a few minutes to drive past a location that we covered on the podcast before, which was, which I call Haunted Harbor. Everyone calls it Haunted Harbor now, but it was Magic Harbor. It was an old amusement park that I did the Haunting of History on. Yeah. A few episodes back. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of chilling just to pass it. I think it's called like Pirate Pirate Land or some some Pirate Land Campground or something like that. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so. That was kind of interesting. It was a little eerie. So we had a little haunted tour of the South for a few days. Maybe the scariest part wasn't the zombie zone or the haunted swamp or the place where the girl got decapitated on that Black Witch roller coaster. It was (laughs) the restaurants and the airport and being around all these people that just don't take the pandemic quite as seriously as we've been trained to. And you know it wasn't because they were vaccinated either. No. <laughs> you exactly. Because <laughs> if it was, I would have been relaxed and I knew it wasn't. So you know I what? Wasn't. They're all alive, so I don't know. I know it does so kind of make something you think. To it. I know. Um so what else do we have to we auditions are now officially closed. So don't send any more fucking emails to any of the email Ooh. addresses that you see on the website. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm excited to say that we got more auditions on the first day in the first 24 hours than we did in all three seasons combined, which is insane. And I'm really excited to see that because that means we have lots of little monsters out there growing and forming all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) A testament to the power of the dark side. (laughs) 
Oh, I know. It was so good. I just want to take a second to thank everyone for working so hard to submit their videos and everything that goes into that. It really was like an overwhelming amount of material, but it did show like, you know, the tendrils of the show and the tenants of Dragula are kind of creeping and wrapping around like tentacles into various countries too. It's not just the US or places that we've been like the UK or Australia. It's kind of getting to be like worldwide, which is super exciting. Another thing I think is interesting is seeing drag performers that you might consider more mainstream and their ability to conform to filth, horror, and glamour. Mm. You know, some of the more like, quote, normal drag artists who can actually show their creativity in different ways and take on the punk horror nature of Dragula. No, that's very interesting. I'm glad you pointed that out too, because I want to be clear. I don't think it's like they're putting on a mask or this isn't really them. I actually think it's kind of the reverse where they see the air quotes, the drag world as kind of narrow and limited because it's the way that we've all been trained to think. So they have to do shows like this. They have to do performances like that to music like this, but we're all kind of freaks on the inside. And I think a show like Dragula allows them to really let that freak flag fly. You know what else needs to be said? I need to correct myself. I made a mistake. I think last episode in speaking, I misspoke. And I would never want either of you to correct me, just so I can put that out there, but I can correct myself. And last episode, I made reference to, we were talking about Adrienne Barbeau being in kind of like every 80s movies. And I plucked it from my head. I'm like, oh yeah, I think she was in, um, and I was trying to quickly remember, like, oh, Toxic Avenger. Yes, and blah, blah, blah. But I kind of felt like that was wrong. And it was, she wasn't in Toxic (laughs) Avenger. It was Swamp Thing that I was thinking of. Yes, and it was kind of one of the first movies I had seen Adrienne Barbeau. So I just wanted to, you know. It's like Swamp Thing if you took a hairspray and a lighter to him for a couple hours. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere in there is a Swamp Miss Thing joke, but I haven't. Swamp Miss Thing is a great drag name. (laughs) Somebody should do it. All you season five hopefuls out there. Mm -hmm. Swamp Miss Thing. And Nightingale Triple X. Oh my God. (laughs) People are tweeting that left and right. They love her. I think some listeners are just discovering that episode. So the lifespan of Nightingale Triple X carries on and on. We did the voice. What? Do the voice. Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) We did get an audition from what I hear from basically what I imagine Nightingale (sighs) Triple X would look and sound like. Better be careful. Why? I have a slot for her. (laughs) You're like, I'll I'll cast her. (laughs) Seriously. I have a total sidebar before we get further into the podcast when you guys were talking about the haunted house experience that you had it reminded me of one of my first haunted house experiences can i share with the class okay so my dad took me to my first haunted house and i think i was probably like maybe nine or ten and this was one of those haunted houses that's like in the parking lot of a mall yeah and has like prefab walls and it is very much like this like there were no music there was no fog but there was a guy running around on all fours with like a wolfman mask and my dad gets very scared very easily, which is where I get it from. So, <laughs> so my dad and I are walking through this haunt and the person running on all fours comes up and is like, ah, and like jumps at my dad. And my dad just, bam, punches him in the face, <laughs> falls backwards and falls through a wall. Oh, and the haunt just God. busts down like a total 80s cartoon. I was like, girl, I'm nine and we have to leave. <laughs> Wolfman popping, walls busting. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
That's amazing. I, I punched a think. Dracula when I was a small child. My dad was <laughs> carrying me through a haunted house in the mall. I mean, I was really little. And there was like a coffin. As you got close, it busts open and the, the Dracula like comes out. And I punched him in the face when I was a little kid. <gasps> Damn, coffin busting too. Yeah, I, I, know. I was a Dracula as a small child. I just like to point that I punched out. you. <laughs> oh, that wasn't me. We've been fighting a long time, but not that long. <laughs> Oh, so Ian, why don't you keep the blood flowing and let us know all the news you brought for us from the world of horror. On the last episode of Creatures of the Night, the Boulets discussed rewatching Creepshow 2 and how much they enjoyed it, which, for the record, my favorite of the anthology is The Hitchhiker, and it scares me to this day. I always look in the backseat of my car. Anyway, when I saw this news story pop up, I felt like we might have our next selection for Swanthula's book nook ready to go. Coming this November, a new behind-the-scenes tell-all is scheduled to be released titled The Making of Creepshow 2, featuring storyboards, scripts, handwritten production notes, and tons of behind-the-scenes secrets that have never been revealed, all related to the production of Creepshow 2. The book is available for pre-order on Amazon now, and interested listeners should definitely check out the full synopsis of the book, which promises an honestly overwhelming amount of content. If you like behind-the-scenes stories or production secrets like me, check it out. Plus, there's probably more pictures than a necroscope, so some listeners, also like me, might have an easier time reading this one. They need to shrink wrap it in a green tarp. Oh, yes. <laughs> a little tendril shooting out. Right. <laughs> you open it and it goes, I got away. And then I close it up. I hope there's extensive behind the scenes photos of those hot guys with those muscle oh, cars wow. from Raft. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> with those little short shorts. That reminds me of being in college. You know, the guy is poking at my back. I turn around. Half of my face is melted <laughs> off. Mm-hmm. Like that old times. <laughs> While we don't often talk about video games here on Creatures of the Night, the three of us have a little more than shared DNA when it comes to, you know, dominating a twink in PvP or playing with a joystick. Well, one of the biggest horror titles of the year, and certainly one of the most talked about games in horror lately, is Resident Evil Village, partially due to the overwhelming response to the nine-foot-tall vampire lady, Lady Dimitris. Since the game's launch, however, there's been a bit of controversy brewing as writer-director Richard Rappurst has come forward pointing out a number of similarities between monsters in Resident Evil Village to original monster designs from his 2013 film Frankenstein's Army. While Resident Evil developer Capcom has yet to respond to the accusations of plagiarism, between the numerous monsters that seem to be near copy-and-paste designs and Lady Dimitris' shockingly Boulet Brothers-inspired identity, I'm starting to think someone at Capcom might be landing in hot water. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They should if they're not. Boiling water. <laughs> that's hot water at the West Side Spa in West Hollywood. You know that's a queen. <laughs> if it is, then... He totally bit us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, today. Every day. Was, every day. Every day we get tagged. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a little like digital thing where that, that lady, I feel like we've hacked her name like three or four times. So I'll just go into that lady Dimitrescu or whatever her name is, is like <laughs> dancing kind of like obscenely. And someone tweeted like, oh, not Drac turning up at the club. <gasps> oh. <laughs> She is oddly reminiscent of us. It's the hand gestures yeah. and everything. And even the I, look, I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the head nod to us out of respect. But truly, I do think that there's something very Dracmordian in her energy. Well, there's been a few other places that people have borrowed from our vibe before, but we won't get into that. One day, one day, I swear, I swear, one day I'm like, I'm going to disappear from entertainment and I will release the book. 
I don't even want a dollar from it. It'll be free. I'll just put it online and it will burn the hell out of everybody. And the title simply will be Drac, Let Him Have It. <laughs> Available now for pre-order on Amazon. I'm a big believer in just focusing on the positive and going forward and trying to like, you know, forgive people their bullshit. But there are some people that have pulled some shit on us over the last oh, few absolutely. years that I feel like at one point in time will deserve the burn. Yeah. Oh. Karma works and it's real. You know, there's a very talented Italian wig maker who we work very closely with. And I think he's a genius and I love him. And we were kind of like DMing back and forth for stuff that, you know, may or may not appear on an upcoming season of a certain show. And even he was like, he's like, yes, you know, I've done this style. I've done 20 of them. And like so many people have like knocked it off other hair designers. And I'm happy about that, but let's do something fabulous and different and very you. And mm -hmm. I just kind of took a page out of that book because we both live by that rule where, right. you know what, people borrow and sometimes they borrow heavily. They don't have their own ideas so that we can share crumbs off of our table because there's a fucking feast on it. And we've got plenty more ideas where that comes Absolutely. from. Absolutely. And that, you know, in, artistic influence is definitely not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when Hollywood writers or producers literally borrow people's complete identities and use them in movies and TV shows without mm. crediting that person. That is strange to me. For Creatures of the Night listeners lucky enough to visit or be in Japan, a permanent museum attraction has opened up in Hyojo, Japan, entirely dedicated to the undisputed champ of Skullfuck Island, Godzilla, Queen of the Monsters. Visitors will be able to learn all about the history of the original kaiju and his ever-mutating silver screen appearance, with themed exhibits, restaurants, and of course souvenir shops featuring Godzilla and the other kaiju in the established monsterverse. The best part, and really the reason why I was inspired to cover the story in the first place, is the zipline attraction at the museum that has guests gliding through the jungles of Japan into a 75-foot scale replica of Godzilla's open mouth, while sounds and lights play to replicate his nuclear breath in the most recent Godzilla vs. Kong. She may have never managed to hit Queen Kong with her nuclear blast, but I think ziplining directly into his mouth makes it a little easier for visitors to, you know, be a target for Yes Godzilla. <laughs> wow. Wow. Ma. <laughs> I truly... I do not trust that because I just saw a video online of there's like this gigantic glass bridge. I want to say it was Japan, but I could be wrong. I think, yeah. And there was a person trapped on it in the middle panel and all of the other panels have blown out <gasps> and he was stuck there. And so now he's getting all this psychological counseling because he's like mentally damaged after the experience. Wow. I think I need psychological counseling after hearing that experience. I mean, can you imagine you're like zip lining towards Godzilla and it like breaks and you like impale yourself on a tube. <laughs> I think you meant, I think you meant to say towards yes, Godzilla. No, I didn't mean that at all. <laughs> I hate her for that, but also I love you for that. <laughs> oh, a hero's death indeed. And finally, for a little bonus, I just discovered this national animal rescue that I wanted to share with everyone. It's called the Texas Chain Paw Massacre, and it is a rescue foundation dedicated to finding homes for animals that resemble our favorite creatures from horror movies. Everything from dogs that look like Cujo to black cats and even snakes that could be found on a plane are featured on the site, which helps to place these pets nationwide in forever homes. That's so cute. I mean, whatever it takes. If, you're, if you don't have an animal or you're not an animal person, 
person, then you're just not a person. I think that's so <laughs> fun. Did you look at any of the pictures? I did. Um, it's funny because there's a lot that I don't recognize. Like mm-hmm. they had one that was like a black wiener dog joke from uh, Freaky that just came out recently. Uh-huh. There was a dog from, I want to say like it was like Black Christmas. Okay. Um, as well as there's a cat from there. Yeah, there's the whole thing is like very tongue in cheek and very much like these are all the animals that we love, whether they're the heroes or the villains of the story. Mm. Yeah. Adopt Wait, a they're baby. not actually, they're like, they just look like the animals. Just oh, look okay. like them. What did was, you think? Well, then I thought for a minute, I was like, wait, do you mean they were in the movies? <laughs> like, they were like... <laughs> it was a hard life for Cujo after <laughs> filming ended. For the last 40 years, she's been roaming the earth alone. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, obviously, I didn't think that. <laughs> Wow. I mean, on a semi-serious note, I do think it's really cool, especially about like the black cats, because I know that there's like a huge disproportionate number of black cats and black dogs who get murdered every year, especially around Halloween. Like it's just so many of these animals are just cruelly murdered every year because they are like, ooh, like witchcraft related. Yeah. I think uh, LA in particular has banned adopting black cats on Friday the 13th or Halloween, one or the other, oh. because people would go adopt them and then kill them or do horrible things to them, that which is, is despicable. Mm. That is horrible. I feel like crimes against animals should be punished equally to crimes against people, maybe even more so, unless mm. they're spiders. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we are going to now take a break, and when we return, we will be discussing Shudder's newest original thriller, Fried Berry. Attention, misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers want you to join the cult now by visiting BoulayBrothersDragula.com, where everything from the world of the Boulay Brothers can be found. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter for insider updates, learn more about upcoming projects, and access tons of Boulay Brothers and Boulay Brothers Dragula exclusive merchandise. Visit us now at BoulayBrothersDragula.com. Do it or die. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. Today, we have the pleasure of reviewing Fried Berry, one of Shudder's newest originals from writer, director, and producer Ryan Kruger. It's the heartfelt tale of aliens abducting a drug-addicted scumbag and taking his body on a joyride through Cape Town, South Africa. I want to talk about the way that this movie started because right at the beginning, you're hit with like this very filmic sort of satirical content warning Mm -hmm. and like age restriction. And it seems like, wait, is this real or it's kind of funny? It's comical. Is it part of the movie? I couldn't really tell. I'm like, wait, am I watching like a South African film? Is this common there? And, but I think we quickly realized that it was actually part of the film and it it is comical, but it's also very real because the, the content we were dealing with is absolutely adult. Oh yeah. I feel like that was one of the things going into the movie that I had no idea. And so seeing that, content warning i was like oh wow okay like let's gear up and by the end i really do think that this movie is probably one of the most depraved movies we've watched on the podcast not to say that it doesn't have its charm because i actually do think it delivers in the charm in equal measure but there were a few scenes and i was like oh my god 
Yeah, I mean, thinking about the beginning in particular, I do not have an appetite for drug-addled kind of movies. Like, I'm just not into it. So Mm -hmm. immediately, I'm just like, no, not feeling it. Mm. Were you guys into it after the beginning? or Are we talking about the drugs? Yeah, it was like the shooting up and like, here's these gritty you know, dirty city streets and these really crappy apartments. I'm just like, I'm not into it. I'm not. I lived in Alphabet City for so many years. Like that shit doesn't affect me at all. And honestly, like that, you know, the drug culture is something that I was exposed to kind of in spades. So it doesn't bother me. It doesn't like make me uncomfortable or squirmish. I'm kind of like, okay, you know, here's a junkie, like kind of rotting in some weird South African town. Got it. You know, I can say though, that I got major, major flashbacks from some of this stuff. Like just seeing like the overwhelming, like use of like ecstasy or whatever kind of like, you know, uh, sensory drugs that they were on and being Mm -hmm. like in the underground clubs of Cape town and the music's pumping and like, strangers are getting up in his face and like they're super fucked up and I'm like it's going on and on and on and the scenes just change kind of rapidly and all the scenarios are switching like left from moment to moment and I'm like mm-hmm. she's had a few nights like that for sure <laughs> <laughs> I will say this when the main character decided to eat the entire pile of the girls like drugs and then she was just like you dick i'm like i'm pretty sure she would do more than that if you did that yeah. well, let's let's also be reminded i remember watching that scene it's like oh it's free entry i was like okay one cool free entry and then suddenly take this i'm like girl free entry and free drugs i want to go to the back like, club i don't think so You're like this isn't another no country club i've ever been to. this is another country this is another planet totally <laughs> Well, speaking of other planets, like, you know, it seems like the drug use definitely turned Drac off. But like, what did you both think about the presence of aliens? Because I feel like that's actually at the root of the story. This is a sci-fi horror. Yeah, essentially, you know, the main character is kind of like this depraved guy who's addicted to heroin. And that's something you get to see right away. And then you see his kind of fucked up home life and the way he treats his significant other and their kid. And like the way he operates through his world is really sad and sort of like a great example of what it means to be an addict. And your life is like completely falling apart. Then there's like this very classic abduction scene, Mm -hmm. which I thought was handled so cool. I mean, and like the music and, and really the sound design of Fried Berry, like I think Rise to the top mm-hmm. even if you just don't even pay attention to what's happening on screen and just listen to the movie it was brilliant oh yeah and that abduction was both mm. visually stunning and the audio aspects of it were just like really kind of transcendent like it really brought me there i think the introduction of the aliens was the best part of the movie and i actually liked the way that they handled it because it could have been done really badly and cheesy mm-hmm. and you could tell it wasn't a big budget production so right. i felt like they were able to accurately convey like this is an alien abduction without spending millions of dollars to do it. And it was still effective. I didn't question it at all. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like almost segmented and presented in these like flashes of like, well, what might you experience if you are abducted in the middle of the night and you are kind of like this recovering addict. So you see like weird scenes of like penetration and mm-hmm. then an alien face and just colors like washing over his body. And it was really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was something almost that reminded me of Possessor with that kind of mm-hmm. in the way that they portray these ideas or topics that, you know, we have no real conception of how that's supposed to look. So to take it almost, and not in a bad way, but in kind of a lo-fi sort of way with, you know, heavy color blocking or the usage of a prosthetic mask to convey there's something wrong with like the mental state of the person that's happening right here. Or even mm. like you were saying, like the penetration, it felt very much like, what is that movie? The, with the eye, the one, it's the alien one. Oh, Um, yeah. uh, Fire in the Sky. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking that, too, a little bit. Yeah. It felt very much like Fire in the Sky. And I felt like that abduction scene 
terrified me. I was like, I don't think that the movie is necessarily horror all the way through, but that scene, I was like, if you're into sci-fi horror, like that gets a check mark for me. Mm. There were some body horror aspects too in this movie that I felt were like, it kind of made me nervous. I, mm-hmm. I, was, I was actually a little bit nervous maybe throughout. Mm-hmm. Like Fried Berry is super fun. It's high octane. It's very, it's definitely not a perfect movie, but if you can just kind of, like Ian likes to say this and I've adopted it too, if you turn <laughs> your brain off and just kind of watch it, I mean, the scenes switch from moment to moment. One scenario is more outrageous and kind of critical than the next, but there were some things that happened with the body horror, like his face would just like kind of elongate in a strange yeah. way out, out of nowhere. And I'm like, that takes me out of my center and makes me very uncomfortable. There's a pregnancy and a birth scene that happens Ooh, yeah. within like five seconds of penetration. She's fully pregnant, giving birth and like shooting out black ichor from her orifices and, and all happening within like 10 minutes. And you're like, wow, just I'm exhausted, like thinking about it. Yeah. I think there were some interesting moments in the movie. To me, I just felt like it was, I don't know, sort of like a degenerate, dark, grimy experience. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't enjoy exactly. watching it. And, yes. and that's why it was fun. And I also think too, like as someone, you know, and you guys know our offices in downtown LA, as someone that spends time walking around in downtown LA, this movie is everything that I typically try to avoid on a daily basis. I felt like it that's what it was. It was like, this is my experience walking from the office to my car every day. You know, it's, it's really interesting that you say that because as much as this movie has the surreal and the strange, I did think that a lot of the horror comes from like the horror of the mundane. You know, there's the horror of just seeing drug use very, very openly and shooting up and then, oh, here's a crack pipe, things like that. Or just the horror of the living situation that they're in and just kind of the sadness of the mental hospital, things like that. And I was like, oh, I'm not necessarily horrified by this, but there is this pervasive layer of just, like you said, kind of like a grime to it. Mm -hmm. That is, it's a little terrifying. And then the arm flapping. This guy's ghouling around the street. Why is he always flapping his arms around? Like, I was like, that's like. (laughs) Yeah, this, this actor, Gary Green has a very memorable face yes. and, I and think body really, language yeah his body language and he's allowed to express quite freely throughout the whole <laughs> film you're like okay that was like his move that was his power move that was his cool down he <laughs> yeah. would like flap his arms and, and he's basically like having sex with everyone with, okay, the, well, with the craziest that, okay, look now, on hold on. why was everyone having sex on him he well, just stands there doesn't even say a word and they start fucking themselves on him yeah I which felt was like- kind of <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy and kind yeah. of amazing. I don't want to yeah. be crass, but that's that's what no, it was. I mean, it, it was, look, the whole subject matter was handled in a very crass way. So just oh, yeah. saying it like that is perfect for this movie. I feel like that's also part of the joy for me is just how ridiculous and how strange it is. Like my one of my favorite scenes is when they're in the supermarket and Barry is just standing there looking at the checkout clerk and she's making oh. all these faces like, <laughs> oh yeah, you want to fuck? Oh yeah. She's like, like filleting a water bottle. I was so like, oh my God, move. What that's him? what I'm saying. Why yeah. did that happen? Because clearly, Clearly, this person would not be someone that they would find attractive. So did, was it like alien powers or something? What did you something? think of it? You know what I thought of it? I thought that it was kind of like a, it was commentary about human nature. That's what I thought. So like the minute that the alien oh, comes down here to the- here we go. <laughs> Drag, can you please try to turn your <laughs> dial from third grade at least up to seventh, please? <laughs> commentary on human nature. Listen, Tell us about it. When, look- the aliens chose this guy and then took his body for a joyride. But within moments, like literally within maybe 15, 20 minutes, all of the experiences like dominoes were, it was about sex, so much music, color, drinking, drugs, dancing, fucking, like everything was, mm-hmm. and, and that was like in scene after scene after scene. And then throw in like death and overdosing and chainsaws. I mean, it was like child murderers. Yeah. Explain the sex part and the, all Check about the, the 
supermarket checkout person. I mean, look, even I also live in downtown LA. So would it be that weird to go to Rite Aid and see some crazy checkout lady? I don't think so. <laughs> would I she mean, be doing that? No, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're, are you saying that was social commentary? Like what, what do you, I was more so talking about like basically when, when Barry came down back to earth after the abduction and the scenes that followed almost immediately were all about sex and indulgence and dancing and drinking and having sex. I don't buy now, it. Ian stands around like a ghoul all the time and people aren't fucking themselves on him all day. No, no, <laughs> no, no hold, no hold in my day. Hey, we, we've never been to South Africa. Maybe we need to go, but Ooh, maybe fucking what? Maybe that's, I got to say too, I love, <laughs> I actually try to Google and research, but South Africa is such a weird melting pot of cultures. And I think they have like something like seven or eight spoken languages. Oh, and wow. I, and I can't tell what that language they swing into that Afrikaans. Like, I don't even know how yeah. I say it. Yeah. Um, but I love hearing that. Like, I just, I think that that is so cool. Like I could listen to it all day long and not give a shit that I understand None of it. Do you remember there's like uh, that 90 day fiance? There's the couple from South Africa or yeah. the husband's from South Africa and the wife is from the United States. Yes. When he hangs out with his friends and yeah. they get talking, it sounds very similar. Yeah, it does. No, yeah. that that's what it is. And I love that. Oh, girl. Speaking of one time I was on a cruise ship when I was a kid and they had this fitness instructor who was South African. Ooh, girl, I was <laughs> not doing those crunches, but I was there every day listening. <laughs> Did you just back it up onto him and you didn't have to say anything? I mean, more or less. I was definitely the checkout clerk in that situation. Amazing. I do want to point out something, though. The director, who was also the producer and writer, Ryan Kruger, is actually very well known in South Africa as a music video director. Mm, I could see that. And I think that really comes forward. So it, through movement and color and sound, I think... Uh, fried berry you, you could really see that he has that kind of history yeah i think for me one of my favorite parts of this is and i know that some art house film nerd is going to try to drag me for this but i felt like the movie was very experimental and i kind of love the way that they portray this almost kind of druggy sort of feel where the camera is statically on the protagonist and then the world around them is moving so it's almost as if we're getting the secondhand first person experience and it feels really disorienting really strange and like you said this music video aspect there's almost no clear narrative for this movie. It's yeah. just kind of this series of disconnected depravity and chaos, which I kind of love. You know, At the end of the day, I don't think this movie is for everyone, certainly not, but I was kind of enthralled by it. Yeah, I got to say too, I was a fan of it for sure. It was dark and grimy and grungy, but it was uh, the word that came to mind for me was like gnarly. Like mm. the, the story and the settings were so gnarly and it was just this weird heroin, alien, serial killer, chainsaw, psychodrama, almost nonsense, but it was like really kind of fun and it, and there was something very cool about it. I think it had a, a unique perspective and I think it had a cool style to it you know stylistically like the colors and the texture and everything they really achieved the gritty feeling that they were going for with the drug use and just all all the depravity of it but overall to me it seemed more like kind of a I don't know like a weird druggy art house short or something it just wasn't my thing I'll agree with you about the druggy art house short I was here for it <laughs> <laughs> don't call me that <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that note, we're going to take a little break, and when we return, we'll be reaching into our bag of mail to answer some of our Creatures of the Night listener questions. Don't move. Creatures of the Night. 
Calling all creatures of the night. Wizard World has just launched their first Wizard World signature series with an exclusive lineup of the biggest names and terrifying titles in horror. For the uninitiated, Wizard World is bringing together the biggest talent across the genre for an international 10-event streaming series available now. Featuring stars from Hollywood horror classics like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, to new visions of terror like Stephen King's It and What We Do in the Shadows, Wizard World is bringing horror fans closer to their nightmares than ever before. To purchase tickets and for more information, visit wizardworld.com. Plus, find exclusive memorabilia and interact one-on-one with series talent and influencers at wizardworldvault.com. Creatures of the Night listeners can use the exclusive promo code PODCAST100, that's PODCAST100, at wizardworld.com forward slash dread to be among the first 100 to get a free ticket to the horror panel of their choice. All right, my morbid little morsels, we're back and we're going to take some time to answer some of our listener mail. Ian, would you like to do the honors? Emily says, over quarantine, I have fallen into the black hole of rewatching The Housewives. Recently, I have been getting up to date on New York and I have seen numerous chaotic episodes in The Berserkers. So knowing that you two are serious Housewives fans and haunted house fiends, would you ever want to host an event at Dorinda's Bluestone Manor or do you think it's cursed by the other Housewives? Oh, absolutely. I mean, New England is a wonderfully haunted place, and I'm sure that counts for Bluestone Manor, too. If it's a haunted, I'm sure it's by, like, some wild drunken rage ghost because of all the screaming <laughs> and the fighting that ends up happening at the Berkshires at Dorinda's house. Um, but should we host an event at Dorinda Medley's Bluestone Manor, I can make one promise that we'd make it nice. <laughs> <laughs> If someone's watching The Real Housewives of New York, I feel like they need to go a little further back because if you haven't watched Scary Island, Mm. you are missing out on, seriously, some of the best Housewives TV that has ever happened. Oh, yeah. There are some golden gems that happened during (laughs) that period. Recently, people were talking about it online, that moment. You know, after, uh, what's her name? Kelly, that you got in a fight with online. Yeah, Kelly Bunsmone and I got into an Instagram (laughs) fight once. Yeah, so, uh, you know, after that whole meltdown happened, remember the next day they were all, like, exhausted and stressed out, and they they got up and they tried to get some sun, and Jill, like, surprised them, and and Bethany was like, oh, my God, there's her voice like a fucking horn. (laughs) Hi! (laughs) The way they edited it was so amazing. You have to go back and watch that. Now, what's the one? They were all geeking out, and they were like, who is that? Is that her? Luann is so undercover shady, too. There's that one. I can't remember her name, her and her husband. They were were a little strange. Oh, Alex. Alex, yeah. yeah. Alex comes in with some kind of, like, clod stomping, and she's like, you came up in here. You came here with those Herman Munster shoes. And she's like, they're Louis Vuitton. And Luann's clap back. Even Louis Vuitton makes mistakes. Well, <laughs> even Louis Vuitton makes mistakes. <laughs> you stomped up here in your Herman Munster shoes. Oh, such a queen. God, I love that they kept Alex around for like four seasons and they just, they just let her be the punching bag, man. Literally. Yeah. And her never ending house renovation. <laughs> then it shifted to her husband, like oddly too. Oh, that yeah. was just weird. Mm-hmm. Andrea asks, 
if you could only exist in a time period of your own lifetime, what decade would it be? And what would you be wearing? I would just pick now because that's all we have. And that's what really counts. And it would be wearing a slutty, bloody dress, tight on the top, very wild and loose on the bottom, no shoes, and my silver banshee hair, wild and unkept. What a wise, slutty little owl you are. (laughs) That's my brand. (laughs) Lily writes, So, I know Drac is a big Halloween slash Michael Myers fan, so I have a very serious question. I got a shirt recently with Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees because they're my two favorites and have had multiple debates on who would win in a battle. So, Drac, who do you think? I don't know. I don't think there's any world in which those two would enter into combat it doesn't make sense so i refuse to answer the question who would win who would win that doesn't make sense i'm not answering she's it. not budging lemuel asks have you considered putting out music slash have you dabbled in making music in the past i have a feeling one of you two were in a punk band or something you just give off that vibe <laughs> <laughs> your powers of sensitivity are growing just you wait I have to say I've never been in a punk band, but I definitely should have been. And hell, I like to believe it's never too late to do it. Ryan from Canada says, I just listened to the Lynn Shea interview and it was so amazing. She was so sincere and honest and you really allowed her the space to be herself and speak her mind. There were so many pearls of wisdom and my heart broke and sang when she cried saying how much she loves what she does. Thank you so much for giving this wonderful creature the open platform to speak her truth. I have to agree. I think that was one of our best interviews ever. Lynn was a gem. And yeah, that moment was really moving for a lot of people. We heard a lot of feedback online about it. She was so sweet. And there were so many things and moments that she shared that I related to. And I'm glad to hear that listeners really enjoyed it as well. And I actually kind of want to give you, Drac, some of the credit that is due because I think you are a great interviewer. And for those that don't know, uh, Drac puts a lot of energy into structuring our interviews. So I think you should, you know, you should wear those accolades proudly. Thank you. You know, I am legitimately interested in those questions. Part of when we started this podcast was I was like, I want to be able to ask people like me and you, Ian, talked mm-hmm. about it before that we'll listen to interviews and they always ask those surfacey questions, mm-hmm. you know, and people do that to us too. It's always oh, the yeah. same 10 to 20 questions. And I'm like, but you could ask so much, mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. you could ask no, some totally. really deep things. Even, you know, people we've had on the podcast, I feel like we've asked them some really interesting things and they're luckily willing to give it up. (laughs) Well, I saw someone on Twitter say basically that exact thing that was like, Oh, thank you for asking questions that dig below the surface. Like I'm so tired of hearing those same 20 questions. So I think Mm -hmm. again, Drac, yeah, doing a girl. I think being interviewed in that way is a treat too. you know, like, for, for people like Lynn and for people like us, we've been interviewed many times. Oftentimes it's the same kind of like dialed in questions and you do get a little sick of answering them. And sometimes you're kind of like, Sherry, did you do any research? Because I've mm-hmm. answered this like 1000 times. I was trained by watching <laughs> Diane Sawyer as a child. And I remember wow. <laughs> serious, I love, I used to love watching Diane Sawyer. I don't know why I loved it. And I remember the stupidest scene where she was like trying to, you know, get the dirt. She's always asking inappropriate questions. <laughs> this guy tried to run away from her and she got on a bike, a little kid's <gasps> bike and started driving off him. I almost lost my oh. shit. I was like, this lady is willing to do anything and I am here for it. A stunt queen. Another queen. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Haley asks, 
on the Boulay Brothers Dragula main stage, how do you see the floor shows while wearing whiteout contacts? Do you take them in and out before and after the show? If so, how do you easily remove them with fingernails on? Does someone else reach into your eyeballs and remove them for you? I can assure you that no one is touching my eyeballs. No. I, I can also assure you that no one is touching me ever, um, especially when I'm Unless dressed that Unless it's the way. sound person. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I actually love that you took the time to imagine how this actually logistically operates because our drag, and we've said this many times before, um, is very, I would say like level 10 from the top of our heads to the tip of our toes to the tip of our fingers to the contact lenses in our eyeballs. Like we are covered in and like obscured. So there really is a lot that goes into it, but I don't want to take away the filmmaking magic that exists <laughs> now. So I think that's all I'm going to say. I will say this. While there are a lot of drag artists that wear whiteout contacts, there are not a lot of drag artists that wear whiteout contacts in front of a full wall of lights. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and when that happens, you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. So I will leave it there. Copeland from Bethesda, Maryland writes, I have a lot of internalized homophobia. I feel like nobody ever told me that I'm fine the way I am, that it's okay, and that I'm gay. And I've come to realize that I have to be the person to do that, but I don't really believe it. Sometimes I wish I was born straight because I wouldn't be carrying around all this internalized stuff. So my question is this, how did you guys come to accept yourselves and be unapologetic in who you are? How do you tell that voice in your head that you're not good enough, that there's something wrong with you to go away? You know, Copeland, first, I want to say I love you for being brave and to face yourself and your demons and just be honest. Um, It's very brave of you because it takes a lifetime of deprogramming. And it's okay for those voices to still haunt you because they haunt all of us at various times. You know, it's definitely something that takes your energy and it could take years to undo all of that in programmed self-hate that we are subject to as children. We chose to kind of like lean into our otherness and hopefully show people like you that they are not only not alone, but that queer people are amazing and unique, beautiful, fierce creatures. And we want to remind you of that. And frankly, I look at the straight world and I find it oftentimes repulsive and sad. And I thank the universe every fucking day that I'm queer. And I mean that, you know, talking about the voice that you're hearing in your head and how do you tell that voice to go away? I think the first step is reminding yourself that that is not your voice. It is the voice of everybody around you. And so the minute you realize that, then it sort of takes the power away from it. It might be in your head repeating, but it's not your voice. It's the programming that's repeating. So you just have to continue to tell yourself every time you feel that you have to correct, stop and correct it and replace it with a different thought. And if you're like me and you share your life with Drac, she would be happy to stop you and correct you uh, for you. (laughs) (laughs) And if I'm not with you, you can keep a rubber band on your wrist. And every time you think about anything that I would normally chastise you for, you can just snap snap it. it. (laughs) She snaps. What would I do, Ian? (laughs) Oh, she snapped. Did she snap? Oh, yes. God, she snapped, sis. Oh. Juan from Virginia asks, do you think every drag super monster should glue down their eyebrows? I need to know your opinion on this. I say, who cares about a little bit of hair? Also, I can't wait for season four of the Boulay Brothers Dragula. I think it depends. I mean, if you're doing it on purpose, you know, I'm like lean into it and do a big unibrow, you know, if that's your style. But You know, there is something clean about being able to cover it. Draw it on in a a new way by your own design, not just what you got stuck with. Shave it. Shave it. Shave it. I agree, too. (laughs) 
there's one final question on here, and I'm not sure if it was connected to another one, but there's no name. But there is a misspelling in here, so I'm just going to lead with it. You have to say it. And please, please include the misspelling. Oh, I plan on it. Someone writes, is Dragmorta still working on that play, The Worst Witch? Wow. (laughs) Or will it never see the light of day? I don't know. We're not actively searching to make the worst witch happen. As I said on the podcast, (laughs) I said if it happened, it would just magically happen because a producer heard it and said, I really want those Boulay brothers to come and redo the worst witch. I want to read the script that Drag Morda has helped pen. (laughs) Drag Morda. (laughs) Drag Mortha. (laughs) That's all the time we have for listener questions on this episode. We'd like to thank everyone who wrote in and encourage you, if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, please write to creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. Now it's time to change the mood a little and bring the lights down as we prepare for this episode's Haunting of History. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life, documented, supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. Cape Town, South Africa also referred to more ominously as the Cape of Storms, is a worldly city whose well-known past is marred with racism, war, colonialism, and apartheid. But maybe not so well-known are Cape Town's myriad of ghosts and spirits that haunt its mountainous surroundings. We've collected three chilling tales to share with you from South Africa's bountiful book of hauntings. Tale 1. Table Mountain's Ghost of Verlottenbosch. Table Mountain is a flat-topped mountain forming a prominent landmark surrounding the city of Cape Town in South Africa. As the story goes, the governor of Cape Town had an enemy living among the citizens of the town. The governor's status kept him out of the reach of a commoner, but that did not stop the citizen's plot of revenge. There came a day when he gifted the son of the governor a beautiful flute, The instrument's craftsmanship was exquisite, and the music the flute created was so enchanting, the governor's son adored his new gift. Unbeknownst to the governor or his son, the flute's previous owner suffered from leprosy. After playing it for a few days, the governor's son became very ill. His affliction seemed incurable, and he was forced into exile in a lonely hut on the mountain where he played his flute until the day he died. The local people of the area say that the mournful tunes of the flute can still be heard in the dark, lonely forests to this day. Tale 2, Anchi Summers The legend of Anchi Summers began in Tuinstrad in the 1880s, now called Queen Victoria Street in central Cape Town. Near the top of the street was a dark place with many trees. The spot had a sinister reputation as the trees here served as the hanging gallows while the Dutch colonialists occupied the city. The Dutch executioner also doubled as a torturer, and his livelihood was ruined when the British seized control of Cape Town and the new British governor banned torture and cruel punishment. 
The last person the executioner hung from these trees was himself, as he committed suicide here in the shadowy copse on Queen Victoria Street. It's here that it's said a ghost haunts Cape Town. The spirit of a man dressed in the clothing of a woman known as Anchi. Anchi Summers is one of the most well-known folktales of South Africa, a cross-dressing spirit who haunts the roads around Cape Town and whose presence ignites the imagination of children, inspiring terror. After all, it's Anji Summers' mission to steal small children from their parents, stuff their bodies into a bag, and make away with them, never to be seen again. He hides his true nature under woman's clothing. He has sharp teeth like a baboon's. He can turn invisible, and he can make leaps of great distances as long as he's only carrying one child. Unlucky travelers might cross Anji on a roadside at night, pretending to be a woman in distress and needing a lift. Once his victim is close enough, he attacks and robs the unsuspecting and escapes into the darkness. Or, at night, when the husbands are away, Anji Summers breaks into a house, slithers through the darkness, and kills the children within. Whether Anji Summers is a phantasm with a wide array of abilities or simply a force of legend and lore, he makes the streets of Cape Town a much scarier place especially for the children who live there. Tale 3, The Tokai Manor House The Tokai Manor House was designed by French master architect Louis-Michel Thibault, featuring a high front veranda with massive round pillars and dramatic curving twin flights of stairs. The residence was completed in 1796 and was described as the most outstanding homestead in the entirety of the Cape Peninsula. In the early 1800s, the residence was owned by a party-loving patriarch named Petrus Michel Eckstein. During one of Eckstein's drunken New Year's Eve parties, his son Friedrich accepted a wager from his father to ride his horse up the staircase and into the dining room. The guest watched expectantly as he mounted the steep steps of the manor house on horseback. The horsemen circled the dining room table hooves clattering, spurred on by cheers and laughter from the wildly drunken revelers. Tragedy followed. The dinner guests rose to watch horse and mount depart. While descending the exceptionally steep steps, the horse tripped and both horse and nobleman fell. The young man broke his neck on the fall and lay dead alongside his horse at the bottom of the staircase. It's said that a spectral horse and rider can be seen cantering through the forest surrounding the manor house. Especially on New Year's Eve, the sounds of a horse's gallop can be heard echoing through the trees. Eyewitnesses tell a tale of a rider, wearing clothing from a bygone age, urging his mount on, laughing and reveling, and then bolting straight for the manor house and riding right up the imposing staircase. Thank you all for joining us for another hair-raising episode of the Belay Brothers Creatures of the Night. Be sure to keep up with us at BelayBrothersDragula.com and remember to send your listener questions and where you are writing from to creatures at BelayBrothersDragula.com. Until next time, uglies. The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulay Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. 
engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno, with music by Neuron Spectre. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.